And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Tuesday, December 5th. This is the program that helps you make better financial decisions. And we do that by encouraging you to go to our website, jillonmoney.com, and clicking on the Contact Us button. Complete the form and we'll get your note. If you want to come on the air live, don't forget to check that little box and Mark will do everything else because he's so great like that. Hey, this is exciting. Tomorrow night is our next webinar. So for those of you who are part of the Jill on Money live community, you know that tomorrow night, 7 p.m., we are going to do some live tax and year-end financial planning with Daniel Forbes. Dan was a guy that I trained a million years ago. He's now a very successful CFP in his own right with a nice big company, does some great stuff. And we're going to just be banging out questions and you can ask him any embarrassing question about what it was like to work for me a million years ago. So if you want to join us and you have not yet subscribed to Jill on Money Live, you can do that on the website jillonmoney.com. You'll see Jill on Money Live. And it's so easy because for $35, not only will you be able to join us tomorrow night, but you'll get three more webinars, one a quarter. And you can also go back and listen to the previous webinars that we've done. And you'll have access to cool bonus content. I'm especially fond of our most recent video interview with Kathy Jones, the Bond Queen. If you've been worried about your fixed income and you want some handholding, it's right there behind the paywall. All that, $35, so check it out. All right, today, let's do some emails. I am so sorry for those of you who've been waiting patiently for us to be answering your email questions. It's just hard to keep up. I'm telling you the truth. It's just hard. So let's get into it. This is from Fred, who writes, I have two questions. My wife and I are 35-year-old teachers, and we make a combined $180,000 in New York City. We have access to a 403B, a deferred comp, with a 7% guaranteed fixed return. It's amazing, by the way, gang. I've checked this a million times. These teachers in New York have have had this guaranteed fixed return that's so high. More than anything else, I can just say like, wow, that's an amazing deal right there. 
Okay, back to Fred. They both max out their 403Bs, 22-5. The question, is there a downside to allocating everything to the fixed account? This is so funny because this is exactly what I was just saying. It's an amazing deal. We do realize we're underperforming the overall market, but we figured this is only $153,000 of our net worth and the guaranteed return gives us peace of mind while the market fluctuates. They have a combined $130,000 in IRAs in an S&P 500 index fund, which gives us exposure to equities. Should we get out of fixed and go equities considering our age? Look, if you're still putting money into both accounts, if you're putting money both into the 403B and into an IRA, I don't mind it, but you are really young. So maybe what you could do is, could you do halvesies, like half in the guaranteed fixed account and the other half in a broad index? Maybe that would be better. I wouldn't really think that for 35-year-olds who are going to get a pension in the future, by the way, that you need to take a ton of risk, but I wouldn't mind you being at least 50-50. Okay, second question. We also have access to a 457 plan, this time uh, both traditional and a Roth. I keep hearing how Roth is better, but this year we're able to max out those accounts as well at 22.5 each by using pre-tax contributions. Right now we have a combined $140,000 in those accounts, unfortunately in traditional. If traditional allows us to save more, is that a good enough reason to continue contributing pre-tax dollars? Look, I think that you should have some money in a Roth option. I really do. So I would really be much more willing to bet that you guys, because you're both teachers, because you will have a pension, you're going to be in a high tax bracket in the future. So I have no fear that by using a Roth that that's going to be a bad decision. I know you've got some money that's going in pre-tax in some things, but I love the idea of using a Roth. I think that'll be, I think you're going to be happy you did that. And I think you're going to be happy that you had money that was already taxed at these levels. So go get them, teachers. Way to go. Okay. Mark says, not my Mark, Mark, the person who's writing this, (laughs) who's writing this note. I listened to the, should we do Roth conversions? And my wife and I are in a similar situation. One issue you did not address was breaking the Medicare IRMA bracket. Do you normally recommend taking the IRMA increase for one year in order to get the long-term benefits of a Roth conversion? Okay, let me just translate for any of you guys who just heard me say the word IRMA and and Medicare. And so let me just say what this is about. There is a surcharge based on how much money you earn. And the surcharge is for Medicare people. You are part of the Medicare system. And if you are married, filing, join, you earn less than $194,000. There's no surcharge for your cost of your Medicare. But as you start earning more than that $194,000 as a couple or ninety-seven dollars as an individual, there are some charges that are imposed monthly. This is called the IRMA, the Income Related Monthly Adjustment Amount surcharge. It is true that in a given year, if you go into pop yourself up into another tax bracket, let's say that, you know, 250 or $300,000 and you were normally a less than 200,000 and you convert and you might be subject to a surcharge of a couple hundred bucks in a month. I do think that's totally worth it to lock in your conversion and know that you have money that has already been taxed. Now, listen, 
Mark, I'd love to talk to you more about your situation specifically, but in general, I think that far too many people are just freaked out about Irma, mostly because they didn't know at all about it, as opposed to really making this just like making the distinction in their brains like, oh, wait a second. So I'm going to pay two grand in extra surcharge, but I'm going to already be taxed on a whole bunch of money, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, that money's already been taxed at a lower bracket than I think I'll be in in the future. And I think that's really the benefit of it. I get it. If you think you're you're um, on that Irma line, just give us a holler and we'd be happy to help you out. Okay, next up, this is Jay who writes, Hi, Jill and Mark. First of all, thank you for all of your fascinating podcasts and the great advice that you two give to listeners. You're welcome. Okay, Jay says, I'm 26 years old. I'm a software engineer. My wife is 27 years old and a teacher. We live in Tennessee. We make $170,000 together and our monthly expenses are $4,700 a month. We have a $280,000 mortgage. We own two cars and there are some notes on the cars. So there's $32,000 at 3.99%, $17,000 car loan at 4.45%. Wife has a student loan with a balance of $55,000. Okay. Jay says, I've got $15,000 in retirement. My wife has about $18,000 in her retirement account, about $10,000 in her pension. Okay, here's the situation. My wife is not interested in financial stuff at all. I find saving and investing, not gambling, interesting. So I've been educating myself on this. Good for you. Awesome. Okay, we're expecting a baby in June of 24. So I suggested we pay off both car loans next year and we can free up the $800 in monthly payments. After the cars are paid off, I'd like us to start paying for her student loan. But here's the thing I would like you guys to enlighten me about. My wife has told me that she has to make 110 qualified payments. Not sure what a qualified payment is. Maybe a regular monthly payment with interest. And then the government will forgive her for the rest of the loan. Okay, so this is the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. And this is actually how it works. If you work in an organization and you qualify for this, the qualified payments are more about the making sure you work for the organization that qualifies and the right amount of money. I think that what you should do is double, triple check that you are enrolled in the public service loan forgiveness plan at studentaid.gov and that she is in it and doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. So she's right about that. We don't have to pay hers off if she's part of the program. I like the idea of paying off the 4.45% loan at the very least, just like, cause that is, that's probably more than a money market gets right now. And then let's see where you guys are. Maybe in owing the money, the $32,000, maybe it'll just get, you know, whittled down. The next and last thing is about the kids' college education, says Jay. And he says, I would like to say for my kids' college, my wife is against it. She said that four of her siblings, two of them with full paid scholarships, dropped out of college. and She does not want to spend her life saving and then our kids decide not to pursue college or to drop out. I told her that her reasoning sounds like it's a little bit biased. Okay. She said no. She doesn't want to save money and put kids in a little box where they must go to college, even if they don't want to. Instead, if they want to go to college, they can study hard, get good grades, and get scholarships. Any thoughts? 
This is such a weird conversation to have. I would love both of you on the line at the same time. Look, you don't have to actually put all the money away for college, but what you may want to do is be able to help them in some way. Maybe there's a negotiation you can have. Maybe if they get good enough grades and they get into maybe a public college, you might help them out, in which case using a 529 could be very important. Or maybe you just want to save in a brokerage account and have that money available if that were the case down the line. I think that this is a tough conversation because of her lived experience. But that being said, I think that there is a way that you can somehow thread the needle a little bit. I like the idea of paying down the debt, um, the car debt. I also would like the idea of you guys putting more money into retirement and putting extra money beyond that money into a brokerage account or a 529 plan. If you have more questions or if she's willing to come on the air with us live, that would be so great. We'd love to actually have a conversation with you about this. Okay, this is from Cynthia who says, we're 60 and about five years ago, my husband received a promotion that pushed us up into the 32% tax bracket. It's a really nice situation with a tax consequence we don't like. All right, I know. But check this out. He makes about $550,000. Our strategy has been to bring our income down to the 24% bracket by maximizing traditional 401k contributions and an HSA, deferring a percentage of his income to get us to $350,000. We have $1.5 million in our traditional IRAs. To maximize Social Security, our plan is for me to claim Social Security on my record at age 62. That would be $1,360. And delay claiming his Social Security until he is 70. We plan to use his deferred income and post-retirement equity payments, $166,000 per year for three years, to cover us from his retirement at 65 until he turns 70 and his social security kicks in. And then we would tap the IRAs as needed. And at 75, we then have the minimum required distributions. Is this a good plan? Should we suck it up and convert to a Roth knowing we have 10 years for it to grow untouched? We thought the traditional path was better in our situation until recently when we learned that tax rates will likely revert to higher percentages in 2026. Now we've got what you call analysis paralysis. What the heck is the best path forward? Okay. Oh, there's more information. I'm retired and I work pro bono as a nanny for our grandchildren. I love it. Our kids are launched. We contribute $5,000 a year to our two grandchildren's 529s. We do expect more grandchildren in the future. We'd like to do the same for all. We have a $150,000 mortgage, a four and a quarter percent interest rate. Our house is worth about $700,000. We have an emergency fund of $200,000, term life of a million dollars on each of us until age 70. It's very cheap. That's why they're keeping it. They've completed the estate documents. Our kids are launched, but a goal for us is to fund a family ski vacation every other year for as long as our bodies hold out. That's so great. Right now, that's eight people, 35 grand. Wow. Okay. We just started saving outside retirement. We've got a brokerage account with $60,000. I have a Roth just started with $3,000. So they live in an expensive area. They love to travel. 
but they need to net $200,000 per year to fund retirement years, including the 529s, our travel and our dream family vacation. We are on track for that via our deferred income plan through 70, so the retirement accounts will have about 10 more years to grow before we would need to tap them. We expect our needed income to drop down to 150 grand, they're talking in today's dollars, at age 75-ish. Probably stop skiing, the house is paid off, blah, blah, blah. We are invested in American funds and Vanguard for the rest, 450 grand, a million dollars, blah, 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 blah. We're hoping our plan would keep us funded and in the 24% tax bracket for the duration of our retirement, but it sounds like it will already jump to 28% in 2026. Are we doing the right thing? Are we making the right choices? Suggestions help. You know, I have a hard time with this 24, 32% tax bracket question. I'll tell you why. I don't really know where tax rates are going. I am wondering if more broadly, just forgetting about the tax situation for a second, is Maybe the real issue here is that you're putting money away in the retirement account. You already have a million and a half dollars in the retirement account, and that's just going to grow like crazy. So you are going to have a forced required minimum distribution, probably at least at a 22% bracket and maybe even at a 24% bracket. If you're feeling a little skittish about the 32 I just wouldn't worry too much. I think that the other question that I have is whether you just want more money in the actual brokerage account to give you some of that flexibility that you are seeking. Look, I know none of us understands what's really going to happen with taxes. I just tend to believe that rates and the the bracket sizes are all going to shift in the coming 10, 20, 30 years. So in my mind, I would either rather you guys be looking at a brokerage account for part of the money. Maybe you want to do some of the pre-tax money to push you down a little bit, but it doesn't have to all be 24%. And remember that flexibility counts. I'm not sure that I would convert to a Roth because again, I'd like to preserve some of your liquidity over the next 10, 12, 15 years. I don't think you're making a big, big uh, mistake. I just think that if you're seeking all the things that you are seeking to do in terms of doing the living a life a little bit richer and more expensive today for the next 10, 12 years, just be careful. These numbers can balloon on you like crazy. So I hope that that helps in your decision making. Again, you're not gonna make a huge mistake. It's just money. All right, just kidding. It is tax money, so you really want to try to minimize that. Okay, that is it. That is the program. If you have a financial question, if you're wrestling with uh, an issue, if you're thinking about a big change, if you're maybe just going through a reset yourself, by the way, of course, buy my book, The Great Money Reset, and also give us a holler. Just go to jillonmoney.com and click the Contact Us button. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Maybe that is on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Do something nice for someone else today. Change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.